All right, turn in your Bibles to uh, Colossians 2, uh, Colossians 2, verses 16 through 19. Um, By the way of introduction tonight, I want to ask you two questions, and I would like for you to answer them with either true or false. And you don't have to answer out loud, just answer in the privacy of your heart. The first question is this. God placed man in a garden immediately after creation and told them in Genesis 1:29 that their source of nourishment was to be raw fruits and vegetables. Christians have turned their back on God's diet and have adopted the world's diet. True or false? The second question I want to ask you is this. Christians should not celebrate Christmas, Easter, and other such holidays because they are from pagan customs. True or false? Now, perhaps you want to know if you've passed the test, but you're going to have to wait till the end of our lesson and see if you answered the questions correctly to or true or false. Now, we have been on a journey through Colossians chapter 2, and last time we discovered that Paul warned the Colossians of the danger of philosophy and vain deceit, which was after the, after the tradition of men and not after Christ. And we saw that we are complete in Christ, and we put it in the acrostic uh, complete that was according to the text, and I'll just go over those quickly. We learned that we are complete in Christ because circumcision is in Christ. It was interesting. Yesterday I got a call from a gal that used to come to our studies, and she now lives in Florida, and she goes, I have a question for you. She said, I have a friend that says, that uh, as Christians, we need to be circumcised. And uh, I said, no. I said, actually, I just taught on that in uh, Colossians last week to the ladies. I said, it's probably a wise thing physically, but I said, there's nothing in the scripture. I said, in fact, it says just the opposite. So I was able to use a little bit of our lesson from last week. But anyway, we saw that our circumcision, that's the sea, is in Christ, and Christ overcame all principalities and powers. We saw that man's ideas are foolish. We found out that our pleasure is found in him alone. The law was nailed to the cross. Our entirety is in Christ. Our trespasses have been forgiven. In the last, we saw the energizing power of God raise Christ, and it it raises us. And so Paul is just continuing on as he continues to write this epistle and warn them of the danger they are in if they continue to deny the fact that they are complete in Christ alone. And so he writes in 2 Colossians 2, verses 16 and 19, and we're just going to cover these few verses this evening follow with me if you would he says let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival of a new moon or a sabbath which are a shadow of things to come but the substances of christ let no one cheat you of your reward taking delight in false humility and worshiping of angels intruding into those things which they have not seen vainly puffed up by their fleshly mind And not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Now, as Paul ends chapter two, he's going to warn about three isms, you might say. Um, In this lesson, we're going to see the warning against legalism and the warning against mysticism. And then the next time when we come back after uh, the holidays, we will look at the warning against asceticism. And so the outline for this evening is just very simple. We have the warning against legalism from verses 16 and 17, and then the warning against mysticism from verses 18 and 19. So let's consider the warning about legalism. Paul says, let no one judge you in food or in drink or in respect of a new moon 
afternoon or a feast day or the Sabbath day. So he's coming back from where he's just been talking to them how they're complete in Christ. And so because of the fact they are complete in Christ, they've been delivered from the observances of the law. Paul says, let no one judge you. In fact, the Greek is a God forbid that anyone should ever judge you in what you drink or in what you eat. Let no one condemn you. Uh, Paul says, stop, stop it. Stop letting the false teachers judge you. Now, what were they judging them in? Well, they're judging them for their diet, as Paul describes it as food and drink, and then the things they celebrate, festivals, new moon, and Sabbath days. Now, the Colossians are like many of you. After you come to faith in Christ, uh, you're enjoying your new freedom in Christ. Your sins have been forgiven. And yet sometimes people will come and tell you that you need to have a list of do's and don'ts in order to be spiritual. And that is what the false teachers were doing. They were coming in and they were saying, no, you need, I know you're, you know, enjoying this new freedom in Christ, but you need to follow all these restrictions. And they were wanting them to follow uh, the system of legalism, mysticism, and asceticism. Now, the first area the false teachers were judging them in was their diet. Uh, They were telling the Colossian believers they needed to go back to the Old Testament dietary laws as well as observance of certain days. And uh, then if they did that, then that would lead to spiritual fulfillment. Now, the word food just means the act of eating, and the word drink just means the act of drinking. Sorry, there's no mystical meaning for those words. And uh, if you did your homework, you I hope you noticed that the Levitical laws uh, were given, the dietary laws were given for physical reasons, but also for spiritual reasons. And God wanted his people to eat in a certain way to distinguish them uh, from the from the other nations. And so they were given for um, the dietary laws were given to distinguish between purity and impurity. But when Jesus came, as we saw last week, those Old Testament dietary laws were abolished. And I hope you saw that when you did your homework in Mark 7 and then in Uh, Acts chapter 10 in Luke's uh, gospel. Another passage I think we need to consider when thinking this, I don't think I had you look at it in your homework, is 1 Timothy, uh, where it talks about now the Spirit speaks expressly in the latter days. Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, uh, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared from a hot iron. And listen to what he says, commanding to abstain from marriage And certain foods which God has created to be received with thanksgiving. And so, ladies, we need to think about this. Paul says in the last days, some are going to come in and try to get you to command or command you actually to abstain from certain foods. And he calls this doctrine of demons and so uh, paul is very clear in this in first timothy that everything that god has made is good nothing no food is to be refused uh, if it is received with thanksgiving paul is very clear about that in first timothy also first corinthians 8 9 paul paul writes this but food does not commend us to god for neither if we eat are we the better nor if we do not eat are we the worse And so you can clearly see from the New Testament, all food and all drink is lawful. Now, 
This does not mean we should gorge ourselves. We shouldn't be gluttons. We know scripture uh, speaks about gluttony. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I do believe we should do all things in moderation. I do believe that we should keep our bodies fit uh, for the service of the Lord. But as one writer says, eat too many Twinkies and you'll no longer be twinkle toes. Too many Snickers are no laughing matter. But dietary discipline is not a sign of spirituality. And ladies, it is not. In fact, I am seeing more and more in the Church of Jesus Christ today that people are making dietary laws a spiritual issue. It is not a sign of spirituality. In fact, it's a sign of spiritual immaturity, not spiritual maturity. And so Paul says, let no one judge you in food or drink. Now, he not only tells them, don't let anyone judge you on your diet, what you eat or what you drink, but also don't let anyone judge you on your observance of days. And Paul refers to these as festivals, new moons and Sabbath. Uh, the festivals are just things like Pentecost, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, Passover. Those were things that they would celebrate. The new moons was interesting. Um, what they would do during these times, it would be the sign of a new month. And so what they would do is they would actually have messengers go to a place on a hill and they would watch at nighttime. And as soon as the moon came up, when they realized it was the beginning of a new month, well, they'd sound the trumpet and let everybody know. And people would travel and come into town, even if it was on the Sabbath day and they would have all this celebration and it would be a time of religious instruction and they wouldn't even have to go to work. So it was like, you know, a holiday that we have. And so that's what the new moons are in case you didn't um, know. That might be something that's not quite as familiar to us. The next day that Paul says that they're not to judge them in is the Sabbath. Um, the word Sabbath actually means cessation from exertion. That's all it is. And ladies, we know that God created the, the earth and the heavens in six days. And on the seventh day, it says that God rested. And the reason uh, that Sabbath was created was for man. Um, Jesus is very clear about that. The Sabbath day was created for us to rest. It was also a sign in the Old Testament, uh, a sign for Israel of the Old Covenant. Now, I want to be clear about this. We are no longer commanded to keep the Sabbath. We are under the new covenant. In fact, if you did your homework, Paul warns about this in Galatians, which is a church. Uh, the church of Galatia was going back to legalism. They were going back to bondage. And he writes, he says, you observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you. Least I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. And so the church at Galatia was going back to honoring and celebrating all those Old Testament regulations. Also, when you think about it, every one of the Ten Commandments is repeated in the New Testament, except that one, to honor the Sabbath day, keep the Sabbath. That is the only one that is not repeated in the New Testament. Now, if you want to keep the Sabbath day, that's up to you. Um, I personally think a day of rest to rest your mind and your body is good. But keep in mind, Christians are free from the law and from its legalistic requirements. And so there's a lot of liberty as what, what we can do as Christians in terms of days and in terms of diets. You can keep the days if you want. 
and you can keep your diet if you want, or you can forget them. And I'd say forget it right now because we're getting ready to enter into holidays. So don't go on any diets. Have a good time. But, ladies, what you cannot do, please understand, you cannot judge others for what they do unless the Bible says, thus says the Lord, okay? That's where we have freedom. Legalism breeds judgmentalism. Legalism focuses on the outward to produce spirituality. It doesn't deal with the inward sin like justice, mercy, faith, compassion. That's the problem with legalism. In fact, I remember as a young teenager, one of our youth pastors got up one Sunday night and preached a sermon. I, I don't think it was a sermon, but he passed out a list of all the things that we could do and not do if we wanted to be spiritual. And I remember thinking back, that was just, it was so odd, like certain uh, links for our skirts and our hair and makeup and playing cards and movies and all that. And I thought, that's really weird. And then I remember when I went off to Moody Bible Institute and my husband said, I want to take you to this church. It's like a three-ring circus. And he said, it's really interesting. And and it was a very legalistic church. And it wasn't the church we attended while we were dating. But anyway, we went to this church, and it was very legalistic. And they actually had invitations to have women come down and have the length of their dresses, have their dresses lengthened, and to have haircuts for men. And uh, I remember during the sermon that the pastor even called down a husband for putting his arm around his wife. And I said, what in the world are we doing? He said, well, I just wanted to see what, you know, a real legalistic church is. I had, I mean, I grew up in a pretty fundamentalist church, but I had never seen an invitation to have, come have your hair cut and have your skirt lengthened. Ladies, things like certain clothes that we should wear, places to go, the length of your hair, that is, when people come in and try to tell you that, that you need to do that as a Christian, there is no mention of those things in the Bible. You know, it's interesting, they don't say, well, Christians shouldn't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, the things that Jesus says. And isn't it interesting that James says that true religion is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows and their affliction, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world? Nothing in there about the clothes you wear or what you eat. Ladies, legalism can be dangerous and very misleading, especially to new Christians, because what happens is then you think that you're spiritual and a Christian if you do all the outward stuff. And I'm very sensitive to this because even though I was raised in a home where I'm thankful that my dad was a good teacher of the word of God, the emphasis was more on legalism. And so it wasn't until the age of 30 that I became a Christian. I was outwardly a legalist. I did all the outward stuff. You know, I never wore pants to church on Sunday because that was forbidden in our home. And, you know, I never played cards as that was of the devil. And, and I did all this outward stuff. In fact, I remember after Doug and I got married, um, he couldn't believe I'd never seen the Wizard of Oz. And I said, no, are you kidding me? It's on Sunday night at 6 o'clock. I w-. And he said, well, we're going to stay home one Sunday night. You're going to watch it. And I was terrified. I was waiting for lightning to come down from heaven and strike me dead. And so um, outwardly, I was a religious person. I did all the outward stuff. But inwardly, I was full of hypocrisy and deceit. I was impure and I was wicked. And, uh, you know, most of you know my testimony. I'm so thankful that the Lord has delivered me, my soul, from hell and from that deadly trap 
of legalism. And so, ladies, be careful. Be careful about judging others when it, the, scripture, the, the scriptures say we judge righteous judgment. Uh, you can judge people's fruits, but you can't judge on food and drink and keeping of days or not keeping of days. Now, Paul goes on to explain in verse 17 why rules about diets and days are dangerous. Notice what he says. These are just a shadow of things to come, but the substance or the body is of Christ. Ladies, these things were just meant to be a dim outline of reality. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews speaks of this in Hebrews 10.1. He says, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach it perfectly. Ladies, the law was given, but it was a shadow of of what was to come, which was Christ. In fact, if you go out on a sunny day, I was noticing today I was in my office uh, doing some editing for a book, but anyway, I was, it was pretty cloudy today, and all of a sudden I noticed the sun came out. I was like, oh, that's nice. It was out just for a little bit. But, you know, if I had gone outside this afternoon, um, I could have stood in the sun and I could have seen my shadow, but that's not Susan Joy Heck. Who is she? This body right here. And that's what Paul is saying. A shadow doesn't have any reality, right? The reality is your body. That what makes a shadow. And that's what Paul's saying. These regulations, these days, these diets and all this, they're just shadows. The reality is Christ. In fact, Paul puts it like this. But the substance is of Christ. One man says this, once one finds Christ, he no longer needs to follow the old shadow. Isn't that great? Ladies, Christ is sufficient. He is complete. We don't need to go back to those dietary laws and the keeping of all those observance of days. Paul says, don't settle for a shadow. When you can have the real thing, we're complete in him. We don't need anything else. Now, not only were Colossians being led astray into legalism, but there was another ism that the Gnostics were enticing the Colossians with, and that is the ism of mysticism. Look at verse 18. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which they have not seen, vainly puffed up, By his fleshly mind. Paul says, let no one cheat you of your reward. In fact, the cheating of their reward would be a reference to acting as a judge or an umpire. And, you know, if you know anything about uh, any type of sports, an umpire is someone who could disqualify you from playing in the games or running in the race. And they could decide against them and declare them unworthy. And so they don't get the prize. They don't get the reward or whatever it might be, the trophy. So what's Paul saying here? Well, the Colossians were running the Christian race just like you and I are. But false teachers were coming in, trying to trip them up in the race by judging them, standing as umpire over them, trying to get them back, get back to go into the observance of the, the holidays and the diet and the drink and the mysticism that we'll see in just a minute. And it was robbing them of their reward. And notice how they're doing this. By taking delight in false humility, worship of angels, intruding into things they have not seen. 
They devoted themselves to false humility. Now, ladies, humility is a wonderful virtue. In fact, this last weekend I was speaking on walking in the humility of Christ. And uh, they were convicting lessons. I had to deal with all four of them first. Humility is a wonderful virtue. But false humility, when it becomes self-conscious, ceases to have any value, right? And these people have false humility. In other words, they have this appearance of being modest or humble. And not only that, Paul says they're worshipers of angels. And so they would judge those who were not following suit. In fact, the attitude of the false teachers would involve their sitting in judgment as to the future reward of those who refuse their doctrines of angelic worship. Now, ladies, Paul's already told them that he created the angelic beings. He's above all the angelic beings, and he did not create them to be worshipped. The angels worship God. They are not to be worshipped. In fact, that was the issue with John on the Isle of Patmos. Remember when he said um, the angel came and he fell at his feet to worship him, but the angel said, don't do it. (laughs) Don't worship me. You, John, worship God. In fact, according to church history, I guess Colossae had for quite some time been involved uh, in angelic worship. They worshipped angels. In fact, the archangel Michael was worshipped in Asia Minor as late as A.D. 739 and was given credit uh, for miraculous cures. In fact, according to that time, angels were seen as God's powerful agents to protect them from evil powers. In fact, they would even call on angels to take vengeance on their enemies, and uh, they, they worshipped the angels just like they would worship God and pray to God. And by the way, this is a trend in our day. I don't know if you've noticed, but you go to a Christian bookstore and you see angels everywhere. You see angels in pictures and, you know, little, you know, trinkets that you can buy. And uh, there is an obsession with angels. In fact, uh, I was looking up some books that you could buy. This is all sarcasm. Okay, ladies, don't throw stones at me. But these are some things you can actually buy in the Christian bookstore. A book like uh, ABCs of Angels. This book will help you in case you're in trouble on how to ask an angel to guide you to your way. And then there's this great book called 100 Ways to Attract Your Angels. Run do that. Or also you might pick up Angelic Healing, which shows how angels can inspire humans to mend and heal. And then last but not least, what you should know about angels. This book tells you how angels make their presence known to us and how to include them in your daily worship. Now, this is in, you know, you can get these at the Christian bookstore. Um, and so we're not any different than the church at Colossae. In fact, you should go to Mardell's or Lifeway, and you, you'll see them. They're all over the place. But, ladies, we need to, and I know none of you are, you know, involved in angelic worship. If you are, then you're in big trouble. But, but take heed, beware. This is nonsense. I've, I've met women that collect angels, and they're, I mean, that's a big thing with them. But there are people in our day that would love to trip you up. It may not be with angelic worship. But it could be with other things. And we need to be so careful. Well, not only did the Gnostics practice angel worship, but they claimed to have special visions. And they even went into great deal about what they had seen. Notice what Paul says. They they do this by intruding into things which they have not seen, vainly puffed up by their fleshly mind. The false teachers would go around and share about these great visions that they had seen. In fact, Paul speaks of this. In First Timothy, he says this, from which some have strayed, having turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things 
that they affirmed. They were going around boasting about things they hadn't even seen. Um, ladies, this is serious. In fact, if you'll recall, do you remember the Apostle Paul had a vision? He was caught up into the third heaven, and he had a vision. He said, it was so awesome. He said, I can't even talk about it. And he said, to keep me from glorying about it, this vision I saw when I was caught up into the third heaven, he said, God gave him what? A thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him. Uh, but Paul didn't go around boasting about the vision that he had seen. But not the false teachers. They were not even humble about things they had not even seen. That's what Paul's saying, intruding into those things they've never even seen. They didn't have these visions. Ladies, the false teachers were involved in mysticism, which is the belief that spiritual reality can be perceived apart from the human mind and natural senses. That's why on our homework, I avoid questions that say, how do you feel? That's dangerous to ask a woman that. How do you feel? Spiritual, spiritual reality cannot be perceived apart from truth. I don't want to base my Christianity on my feelings, but on facts, right? And mysticism, that's what it does. It weighs heavily on feelings, intuition, and not on fact. In fact, Hinduism, New Age, they're all forms of mysticism. And that's what the false teachers were doing. They were coming in, and they were having exalted opinion of themselves, and they were claiming to have all these visions, but their humility was self-imposed and far from genuine. In fact, the word intruding means they scrutinize minutely. These false teachers were coming in and they were scrutinizing minutely the things what they had imagined or professed to have seen in a vision. And Paul says their minds are vainly puffed up. They're arrogant. They're proud. In fact, a fleshly mind is a carnal mind. Ladies, this is a person whose mind is puffed up with pride because of his visions that he claims to have seen. Paul says, don't be deceived by this. The result is you might be disqualified for the reward or the prize. In fact, for a believer to allow anyone to lead him away from his or her completeness in Christ could result in him or her being robbed of their reward. And ladies, we need to be careful. We have a lot of people today. In fact, this happened to me today. I can't believe it. I cannot. Debbie's laughing because I told her about it. I think Pam knows about it too. But I went to a new doctor, eye doctor. And I thought, great, this is a Christian place. And I was all excited because I was trying to find a new eye doctor. And so as I'm leaving, she goes, can I pray for you? And I said, sure. And so she lays her hand on me with the other lady. And right in the middle of the prayer, she says, I have a prophecy from the Lord. And she said, you're supposed to minister to teenagers. There you are, you two girls. You're supposed to minister to teenagers. God just gave me a vision for you. And you're supposed to minister to teenagers. And uh, she said, um, and also let me pray the prayer of Jabez over you. And she just went on and on. And I'm saying, there, oh, Lord, help me. And, um, you know, and she said, oh, God told me to tell you, you have a pure heart. And I'm like, oh, boy. Well, that's not what Jeremiah says about my heart. It's deceitful and desperately wicked. And I thought when I left there, I thought, oh, my goodness, what did I just experience? And I thought, oh, that was a lesson for tonight, the illustration for the women. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what was that about? But, ladies, this, that's not the only thing. You can, you know, tune into uh, some of the modern-day teachers that we have today, and they're always trying to impress people with visions or things that they haven't seen, vainly puffed up by their fleshly mind. And you know what that does? 
That makes you and I think, well, I don't have that hotline to heaven. How come God doesn't give me a vision? How come God didn't give me a word to tell that my doctor today? You know, I mean, how I'm not I must not be spiritual. You must be more spiritual than me because you have visions and you get, uh, you know, dreams from the Lord. And that's what Paul is saying. They're vainly puffed up by their fleshly mind. Why do we give them a voice? Why do we listen to them? Ladies, many are following after them, and I fear they're losing their reward. Paul says you will become disqualified. This is serious stuff. This is very serious. In fact, we have many today. I I think of what uh, uh, Jude says in 1 Peter, that false teachers, many follow after them, and they listen to them. And ladies, we would do well to turn them off. Don't listen to them. Ladies, the problem with those who worship angels and those who follow dietary laws and observe holy days is they've lost it. (laughs) They've lost it. They've lost connection. That's what Paul says with the head. Now, sometimes I think they've lost their physical head, but they've lost connection with the spiritual head. But I do think they sometimes I sometimes listen to these people. I thought they are just crazy. Uh, They've lost their head, too. But look how he puts it in verse 19. They're not holding fast to the head. From which all the body nourished and knit together by the joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. These people are not holding on to the head who is Christ. They're not complete in him. They have to have Christ plus mysticism, Christ plus legalism, Christ plus asceticism. Ladies, Paul is very clear in Ephesians talking about Christ. He's put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things. The church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. In fact, he goes on to say, talking about us, but speaking in the truth and love, we should grow up in him who is the head, Christ. And listen to this. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. My friend, Christ is the head that holds all things together. And Paul says the problem with these false teachers, they're not holding on to the head. They're not holding on to Christ. In fact, the word for holding here means to seize or retain. And it has the idea of a firm grasp and a tenacious hold. They're not holding on to Christ. They're not clinging to him. Why? They've forsaken Christ to follow legalism, mysticism, and asceticism. They'd rather have that than Christ. Ladies, Christ is our head. He is enough. Why? Notice what Paul says. Because under the head, the whole body, the joints, the ligaments, they're nourished, they're knit together, which means they're fully supported, and they're united together by the head. Ladies, we cannot be nourished or supported Or do anything without Christ. You cannot. In fact, the words knit together and nourish picture the wonderful unity in the body by cells, muscles, arteries, veins, nerves, skin, glands. All of this marvelously working together, which is the body in the physical sense. And ladies, just as our body works together, it's a wonderful machine that works together. So is Christ as our head, the body of Christ. In fact, you know, in the physical realm, if your head is not working, your body won't function properly. I have a great nephew that has cerebral palsy. And even though he's in his 20s now, Zachariah can still not sit up. He's got cerebral palsy. I mean, he can talk, but he can't sit up. Why? Because his head doesn't work right. 
And ladies, it's the same way in the spiritual body. If we are not connected to the head, if we don't hold fast to Christ our head, we are going to be in a mess. We won't, our, the rest of us won't be working properly. Without Christ our head, we cannot do anything. In fact, notice how Paul ends this verse very greatly. He says, and it grows with the increase that is from who? God, not false teachers, from God. Ladies, the only way that you're going to grow in your relationship to Christ is through God. Not false teachers, not legalism, not mysticism, not asceticism, but God. In fact, if you look at this, Paul is not talking about numerical growth of the church. He's talking about our individual spiritual growth. That is the only way that you're going to grow. What Paul is saying here is that the new man is increasing and is growing not by legalism, not by mysticism, but by the increase of God. In fact, it's an increase of grace, which is from God as its author. Ladies, you will not grow by rules. You will not grow by visions. You will not grow by worshiping angels, but you will grow by a knowledge of Jesus Christ. So it makes sense, doesn't it? You can follow diets and days, a mere shadow, or you can follow the reality, which is Christ. You can worship angels or you can worship Christ. So how did you fare after looking at these verses with the true false questions we began with? Do we as Christians need to get back to the garden? Should we be only eating fruits and vegetables? Well, biblically, you would have a hard time proving it, but. If that is what you desire for yourself, it is no more sinful than for those of us who choose to eat meat, chocolate, and yes, even drink coffee. What you are forbidden to do. In fact, that same church, you know what, that I told you about that you walk down the aisle, get your dress lengthened. They also sold coffee mugs in the bookstore that had the pastor's picture in the bottom of it so that when you drank coffee, you would be reminded that drinking coffee was a sin. That's the truth. Now. If you want to do that, that's fine. But what you are forbidden to do is judge others for what they eat or what they don't eat. In fact, I thought it was hilarious when Doug took Debbie and I to the airport Thursday. We saw a bumper sticker right in front of us. I wrote it down because I thought it was great. It says, eat right, exercise regularly, die anyway, so enjoy. And I thought, that's the truth. You know, you see people that do all the right things. They work out and they eat healthy and they, they're out running and they die of a heart attack at 30. Then you see people like, was it George Burns that smoked cigars and he'd lived to be 102. Ladies, you're forbidden to judge others on any of that stuff. Secondly, should we celebrate Easter and Christmas and other holidays? Again, if you are under the conviction that you and your family should not celebrate those holidays, then don't. But by the way, if you don't celebrate those holidays and you try to use Jeremiah 10 as a, as a proof text for not putting up a Christmas tree, uh, you'll have a problem with that because unless you fall down and worship the Christmas tree, and if you do, then you, you, know, then you probably shouldn't have the Christmas tree. If you celebrate Christmas and Easter, that's okay. Paul tells us in Romans 14, everyone is to be persuaded in their own mind. He that regards the day regards it unto the Lord. He that does not regard the day unto the Lord does not regard it. But again, what you are forbidden to do is judge each other in the areas of food, drink, unless you get drunk, then the Bible talks about that, and observance of days. They're not matters of spirituality. 
But to judge others is a matter of spirituality, and it shows that you're weak in the faith. In fact, one of the blessings of being married to a man who didn't come out of a Christian home was that Doug really helped me a lot as a, as a new Christian. He said, Susan, you need to educate your conscience because my conscience was weak uh, because of being brought up with a lot of legalistic rules. And so as I began to study the Word of God and, and memorize, it really helped me. And, of course, being married to Doug has been very helpful in this area as well. So, ladies, are you in danger of being deprived of genuine Christianity by legalism? You know, I like what one man says. Legalism demands uniformity. It produces a surface faith, and it spawns judgmentalism, and it produces a joyless life. Have you ever noticed that? People that are legalistic have no joy. So do you demand others to conform to the way you celebrate certain days of the year? Do you look down on others who don't follow the same dietary plan that you follow? If so, then you've bought into legalism. Is your faith superficial? Do you have a deep, meaningful relationship with Christ alone? Has your Christian life become a humdrum? Have you lost your joy? Then you might examine yourself to see if you've brought, bought into legalism, the legalism of our day. It might not be the legalism of Paul's day, but ladies, we have it in our day as well. Are you in danger of being deprived of genuine Christianity by mysticism? Do you value experience over truth, especially biblical truth? Do you value intuition over truth? Do you value your own inner power over the inner power working of God? If so, you are in danger and you have bought into mysticism. Ladies, both legalism and mysticism crept into the church at Colossae, but my friend, they are prevalent in the 21st century church too. And as we close and end this semester, I beg you to turn away from any iota of legalism and mysticism and turn completely to Christ alone. Why settle for them when you can have him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this time that we have to be together before we break for the celebration of your birth. And Lord, I pray as we will interact with family and friends in the next few months that we would be on guard for those trappings that maybe some will have, maybe we even ourselves have, of mysticism and legalism and asceticism. And, Father, I pray that we would be an example of the gospel to those that we see, that we have Christ and he's enough, and they would see that our sufficiency is in him alone and that we don't need anything else. So, Father, as we go, may we mark people over the next two months with the gospel. May we be salt and light to a lost world. And, Father, I do pray that you would bring us back in January with an eager heart to begin the really practical portions now of this wonderful epistle on how we can practically walk. How do we walk a holy life? How do we be a good wife? How, how do we evangelize? How do we pray? Lord, I just pray that um, our second semester would be as rich as this one. Thank you for these ladies. Thank you for even those who couldn't be here tonight. And I pray that you would bless them richly in Christ's name. Amen.